Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with the One Nation. Boy, that whiskey smells good. Under whiskey. Uh, I'm joined today, and I'm joined, as always, by the very sleepy, the very tired, <laughs> the very, can I take a nap, Jason Johnston Yellen. Jason. I tell you, I, I would take great umbrage with what you're saying, except it's all true. So I got, I got nothing in response. I tell you what's a little yeah. bit weird right now, though. So we we sometimes have it with with friends who are regular listeners mm-hmm. of the podcast, and when we hang out with them, they'll sometimes say, "Gosh, I feel like I'm in an episode of One Nation Under Whiskey right now. <laughs> yeah, this yeah, is this yeah. is really weird." I have to say, I I drove to and from Virginia Distillery Company today, mm. and I listened to our interview with David Thompson. Oh yeah. Of Spirit of Yorkshire mm-hmm. releasing Filey Bay. Mm-hmm. Tremendous. Absolutely loved the episode. Mm-hmm. And then I transitioned after that was done to listening to the latest extra extra. And as I sit here talking to you, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm speaking to our podcast that in the car wasn't able to respond to me, ah. but now it actually is able to respond to me. It feels a little weird right now that <laughs> I'm actually speaking on our podcast as opposed to listening to our podcast. So after listening to to two long, well, one long and one not so long episode of our- One tight 35. One tight 35. Is there things that you've been meaning to say? You can finally let it out. Like, what have you been holding on to? <laughs> <laughs> um, only, you know, after I re-listened to our Matt Hoffman episode and I, I was either meeting with you or texting with you and saying, that was fucking brilliant. Mm. That was such a good interview and episode. Yeah. Today, in listening to the David Thompson, I, I just felt the exact same way. In, in each case, we've, we've embraced the nerdy. Mm. And we, mm-hmm. haven't, we haven't given up on it too soon. We've really continued to ask and probe whether it's about you know, peat extraction or fertilizer for barley or whatever <laughs> it happens to be right yeah, yep we've we've really burrowed into the topic and that's that's really great and and in listening back to it i found myself in listening to it thinking oh you you should ask that question hmm. and then the next question out of either your mouth or my mouth is the question is that, that i've question? been thinking of yeah and when that happens i know okay we're really delving in here we're really getting to the bottom of something so so yeah honestly just sitting back and it sounds it sounds terribly narcissistic and i i try not to be narcissistic but i i enjoy sitting back and listening to it Mm. and and enjoying it Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. like it's enjoyable and i think yeah that was good if i was if i was a listener listening to that episode i would be i'd be quite happy with the time that i spent on it so there you go I, I don't know if if you heard it. I'm sure the listeners heard the sound of us patting our own backs as as you just exp- now. Just now, yeah. Um, I, I tell you, a takeaway from from listening back to the the full episode and then thinking about 
other episodes. You actually did mention them in the in the episode with David, the the um, the Omak sisters. Ah, uh, yeah. Who are whiskey sisters supply out in Colorado. Yep. yep. And in talking to them where they were saying, yeah, for us, our, our soil is actually very nutritious. It's full of nutrients. We actually have too many nutrients. We mm. need practices that aren't putting more nutrients into the soil. And then listening to David talking about, yeah, planting a tree for every bottle of whiskey sold is a wonderful idea, but it doesn't affect the soil today. We need to be affecting no. the soil today. Yeah. We need different practices. And and then my my takeaway from from the, the OMAC sisters was okay, one size solution doesn't fit all. Right. And that that was reiterated with David Thompson, right? And so there's this idea that we can't just keep walking around with a rubber stamp and stamping that farm and stamping that farm and stamping mm. that supplier and being like, okay, okay, I've got three things on my checklist. Check, check, check. Yeah. Rubber stamp for you now. It needs to be, okay, what do you have here? What does it need? What does it take to secure the soil? The, the Washington Post just said a piece over here where the the recommendations have now come down on the uh, on the Colorado River, and as oh. we were talking to the Almac sisters about water rights, yeah. it's it's now clear there is not enough water in the Colorado River to supply all the farms that it has traditionally supplied, and the question is, huh. do you need to take water away from those in Colorado to get the water out to California? where there are farms that grow produce that put foods into supermarkets. Or if you're an established farmer in Colorado, do you have an ongoing right to the water mm. that flows under your land, by your land, close to your land? Like, where, where are the rights in here? And while we're busy arguing water rights, the reality is there simply is not enough water. Yeah. So you can argue water rights. You can take this to a court of law. At the end of the day, there is not enough water for everybody who needs to use it. That's huh. a frightening proposition and, and something that we did mention in the interview with the Almac sisters. But where do you go from there? What do you do as a farmer? They were looking into, and, and again, David mentioned it in his interview as well, like, not quite drought resistant, but grains that can thrive in drier conditions, right? Right, which is right. You need to, he talked about that. Why the soil at the Wolds are, are so good for the barley that he grows is there isn't a ton of nutrients in there. It's not necessarily the best soil, but mm -hmm. it's the mm -hmm. best soil for barley. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. The higher nitrogen doesn't yeah. work. Yeah. More nitrogen yeah. means less sugar. Less sugar means less ferment. Less ferment means less whiskey. Yeah. And and so it's, it's trade offs, right? I just mentioned this earlier about you know why I'm so tired. I was up early and, and driving to and from Lovingston for VDC today, Virginia Distillery Company, talking to Amanda Beckwith down there. Right. It's trade offs. We're we're working on trade offs. Where mm. do you pull from? What do you use? What do you supply? What do you lay down? What do you let pass? Can they distill more than they're currently doing? They're on two shifts a day and, and weekends off. 
you know, like, yeah, it's, it's been a good 2023. We're having all the conversations. I'm starting to feel the, what are the solutions, right? What are the ways out of this? What's the way forward from here? Um, And so those thoughts continue and those become questions for future interviewees. And on we keep going. So I will say, I will say, you had made mention of this and we discussed this with Jess. We got progressively drunker in that complete episode with David. Oh my God. But I, I, don't, I don't think we got sloppy. Like I was expecting to hear sure? us get a little sloppy. We didn't get sloppy. We got a bit silly. We had some fun with the ice cream man. Yeah, I just, I just feel as if... Maybe not you as much as me. When you get drunk, you are perfectly coherent. You don't you don't slur, but when you hit that wall, man, you're like boom, done. And and but me, I I slowly start converting, for, you know, into cursive speak, and I was just getting more and more like yes, yeah, so, <laughs> you know, and I, so, but but maybe I'm more hypersensitive to it. You didn't you didn't hear how drunk I was? No, oh, thank no. God. I'm like thank you, God. you you came up with discovering yams <laughs> for oh, Cameron. But I had that in the chamber for a while. <laughs> <laughs> discovering yams is so good. If I do, if I do say so myself. Uh, be, before I before we go over to today's subject, I do. I have fired up the PDF machine uh, for a second time. <laughs> I, I have an email in uh, portable digital file slash format yeah. for, the, for the gathered masses to enjoy. That's and it comes to us from the ice cream man. I'm an ice cream man. Dumbass, I'm passing by. <laughs> I liked you playing that. Thank you. Uh, so... So the ice cream man writes, guys, which guys, <laughs> the original was dear JJ and J. Now it's guys. Oh, OK. So he wasn't the one who started off with. So he no, was OK. OK. Was, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, guys, thanks so much for reading my email on your latest podcast, season seven, episode four. This was uh uh, he'd written in with hosting a small blind tasting and our liquid was in it and our mm-hmm. the refill sherry liquid and yep. our Paul John was in it. And, yeah. uh, and it sounded like a fantastic blind tasting. And so he says, I loved Joshua's middle-aged white man's confidence regarding the pronunciation of my last name. <laughs> but unfortunately, he was not correct. <laughs> We can write a book on the pronunciations you've made that were not correct. Oh, come on. A book? Maybe <laughs> maybe a novella. Let's call it a novella. I wouldn't call it a full, fully flit. Somewhere between pamphlet and book. Somewhere between there. So his last name is H-A-G-E-N. Hagen. And the reason he's the ice cream man is because somebody in the podcast thought it was Hagen. So it's actually pronounced Hagen. Like Sammy Hagar. Which is, it's actually raised more problems because he's spelled it phonetically H-A-Y hyphen G-E-N. Oh, it could be Hagen. 
Exactly. I don't think exactly. so, though. Like, no one has the last name Hey Jen. So you're just Hey Jen. Hey Jen. Nah, you think so? Hey Jen. So, hey Jen. Hey Jen. Like Cajun? So he says, Hey Ken. Rather than like the Hagen in Hagen does. <laughs> that said, hmm. I'm sure 150 years ago, my ancestors in Norway would have pronounced it like Hagen does. So I'll give you partial credit on this one. <laughs> he is far too generous. Far too generous. And he says, please keep me in mind next time you're hosting something in Chicago. I'd love to attend. Yours truly. Chris, the ice cream man, Hagen. Unless it's it. Hey Jen. Oh, my gosh. Well, we'll find out in his next email to us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's got to be Hagen. It's got to be Hagen. Hagen. Yeah, with right. that soft Chris, G. Chris, the ice yeah. cream man, Hagen. Yeah. So there you go. That was that came in, and I immediately saved it as a PDF. <laughs> yeah, uh, I knew I wanted to cover that one with you. This is my new go-to move. I am very fond of it. Immediately I, saved as yeah as PDF. Yeah, I actually saved it as a Corel Draw file. So hopefully you can, you can fire that up. I actually, I actually narrated it to myself in an eight track. <laughs> in an eight track. <laughs> I did like the yeah. I did like the the screen grab that you shared with me from the Facebook group that you accidentally created. Yeah, which which there was a poll on it recently. <laughs> what what makes what's more old man? To save a P- save an email as a PDF or accidentally create <laughs> a Facebook group chat, and I'll have you know, as it stands right now, I think there are twelve people that say converting an email to a PDF uh, was far more old man. Whereas the accidentally creating a group chat, how many people do you think? Five, three. <laughs> wow! Gosh. Gosh, 12 to 3, an email is a PDF. That's tough. I really... You're winning. Oh, that's... Hashtag winning. Am I, though? Am I? (laughs) I was... Here, I've got got one more thing to mention, and then we'll we'll start focusing in on Kurt. Yeah, we got to get to Kurt. Yeah, we got to get to Kurt. But in our last episode of Extra Extra, we mentioned that we weren't imbibing because we recorded that during Passover. What was actually the, the very last day of Passover? Very it was last the day, day of Passover. It went yeah. live yeah, 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 on yeah. the last day of Passover. Yeah. And so when sundown hit on Passover end, I was reaching for whiskey real fast. All right. I was not wasting a moment. Was there a countdown like on New Year's 10? Nine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was waiting for that third star in the sky. And I was like, come on, I've got the whiskey in my hands. I'm starting to twist the cork here. And so obviously I wanted to be a little bit special. Do you know what I was really craving? Oh, man. Give me a hint. Texture. <laughs> it sounds like you were craving our Catoctin Creek two year old. Oh, interesting. Interesting. When I think of texture, man, that's the one that jumps out for like yeah, the biggest I'm not, texture. I'm not, saying you're, I'm not saying you're wrong. Um, the one that jumped out to me in the moment, yep. absolutely looking for texture, Screwball. was our 
third woodcut, the laughing frog. Ah. Oh man. And did you find the bottle? Oh yeah. Oh, well, okay. I, well, I, I thought times. you were setting it up to say, and I couldn't find it, so therefore I oh, went heck with no. this other thing. Don't, gosh, no! I drank the shit out. Of it. I hit it real hard. <laughs> it was wonderful. Oh, um, and by hitting, let's be clear: by hitting it real hard, I had three small pours of it. That each one, oh, delicious! delicious. Did you did you tap that glass? Oh, three yeah. times. Tap, tap, tap. <laughs> Once, Is this twice. thing on? Three times my whiskey glass. And you know what I watched while I was enjoying my <laughs> my third woodcut series? Huh. Okay, hold on. Was it a documentary or a scripted show? Scripted. Is it a TV show or a movie? TV. Was it on Netflix? Yes. Is it fantasy? No. White Lotus. And no, I have not seen White Lotus. I haven't either. Um, was it a comedy? Uh, allegedly. <laughs> it's certainly got a few funny bits, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't sit down and advertise it to anybody as a comedy. Sophie's Choice. <laughs> Did I get it right? <laughs> you did not. Sylvie's Choice was not a TV show. Oh, it was a show. Uh, oh, I know which one you watched. Go on. This show. Go on. Tried so hard to be funny, and it was so not. It's the one with Rob Let's Lowe. Let's hear it. Oh, yeah, I haven't watched that. Oh, fuck. What's the new Rob Lowe? This. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. This was with Ali Wong. Oh, so Beef. I started watching it. We're, we're two episodes in. I'm loving it so far. How, how did you possibly turn it off? That was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah no. Excellent. Absolutely excellent show so oh. far. Um, no, it's just Haida was getting tired. And he, there's so few shows that Haida and I watch together that yep. if she's into it, like, I, I'll just, I'll, I'll turn it off and I'll wait for her to to not be sleepies. Yeah, there there is no way tomorrow would watch this. It's too high drama. It's just it's too much anxiety in it for an end of day watch for her. Fucking excellent though, isn't it? So far, unbelievable. I, did, did you finish it? Yeah. Oh heck yeah. Oh, not not on that same night, but I watched four episodes, two episodes, four episodes. Yeah. Okay. And when I sat down for the final four, I was like, yep, I'm finishing this right now. Yep. Yep. Really well written, well shot, well acted, great story. Well directed. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Everything yep. about it. Yep. Phenomenal. Yep. Highly recommend it if you've got it on your on your Netflix and your Netflix market. Beef. Really, really worth your time. So so there you go. So I yeah. I enjoyed a laughing frog. While I watched the first four episodes well, of Beef I, at the end of Passover. Heidi and I were so excited for that new Rob Lowe sitcom where he's, yeah. he's some like CEO and he's overworked and his wife died and he's got a kid. And every joke was almost funny, but it never <laughs> worked out. I don't think we laughed once and each one were like, that joke could have worked. But it didn't work. 
Yeah, it's really that sounds horrible. It's really, it's really sad. Listen, I, I you went from the high point of Watch Beef. It's an excellent show. To yeah, don't watch absolutely. this show. Let's let's switch gears. We went we went from whiskey to us patting ourselves on the back to reading emails to beef to Rob Lowe. Let's bring it to an author mm-hmm. to Kurt Maitland. Who's, who's written a couple of cocktail books. Uh, he runs a fantastic... That might be the world's yeah. shortest Joshua Hatton incomplete list. <laughs> Author. I'm not done. Kurt Mayland. I just said it. He wrote two cocktail books. I was about to talk about his whiskey club, Manhattan Whiskey Club. Um, whiskey Club Runner. He spells it with the E, though. We may have to have a further conversation with him about this. And he's also a contributor to the Whiskey Reviewer blog, which I, I know you're familiar with as well. Mm, absolutely. Um, absolutely. And I think more importantly, he's been a friend for for years and a good drinking buddy. Um, yep. You know, he's, he's further from you, but he's, he's New York for me and I've hung out a few times. He's always generous with his pores. He's a, as much a whiskey dork as, as anyone you and I know. And, and I love that yep. he, you know, especially as it's getting warmer, right? It's his cocktail books I look toward when I, when I want to discover something new, try a new cocktail <laughs> out. I never make it as good as the book shows it. But, hey, you know, I give it, I give it the old college <laughs> try. <laughs> well, and I like that in today's interview where he talks about putting together a cocktail book. Mm. But facing that dilemma of what cocktails do you present? Do you, do you go back through the the three ingredient standards? Do you expand them to five? Do you talk to mixologists who are using ingredients that are only found on a single mountaintop in Nepal? Like <laughs> like how do you pitch a cocktail? And, and I thought, again, like you and I like talking to people about process. Yeah. And in talking to somebody who's authored a cocktail book about process mm. really, really caught my attention and really held my attention. It's also nice to then go on and talk about flavors with them and yeah, complementary sure. components. Yep. And, yep. you know, and, and, and talk about another part of this industry that you and I are not are not deep into. You know, cocktails, mm. we certainly enjoy the occasional one out and about. We don't go in search of them. We're not making a whole bunch. We're not inviting over people for cocktail parties. It's not 1976 around here. God, I wish it was. Cocktails, fondue, like fish bowls. Look at that. We just said it at the same time. Listen, um, let's save the remainder of our jokes uh, until... (laughs) (laughs) You've got jokes? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, listen, let, let's let's hand it over to to our good friend Kurt Maitland as we talk whiskey, we talk cocktails, we talk writing, we talk process, and so on. Here we go. Kurt Maitland, thank you so much for joining us today. It's, it's funny, when I was thinking about what this conversation would look like, to me and to Jason, you are a New York whiskey guy who runs 
of Manhattan Whiskey Club. We see you at all the shows. We hang out with you. We drink with you whenever we're in town. But those who may not be familiar with your name in whiskey circles, I think, may know your name through some of the books that you've written, some of your cocktail books. And so it's funny. It's kind of this weird juxtaposition, <laughs> at least for me. Like, I, I am not a cocktail guy. I enjoy cocktails, but I'm not. But it's just so funny that I, I know you in such a different capacity. But then you've got books that are like, here's 1,100 cocktails that, that will rock your world. And so I, I figure, I, I wonder if the best way to start this conversation is just share a little bit about yourself for, for our listeners, where, where you started in your, in your drinking life. Like, you're also a lawyer who, who's just doing all of this stuff on the side. Um, well, or maybe it's not so much on the side, right? So yeah, let's, let's hear it from you. Okay. Well, one, it's a, I'm a paralegal cause I like, I work with lawyers, which is useful cause they like drinking. So <laughs> they, uh, tend to, tend to want to buy my books <laughs> and talk to me about what they should buy as gifts for friends, partners, and, uh, people in the business. But okay. I started in college cause I didn't like beer. I mean, that's probably the easiest answer I could give you. When I was in college, I made friends with this person. She was from Hong Kong. She liked uh, Jameson. So, you know, I started drinking that with her. I think part of me thinks it's like I had some kind of like gluten reaction and I would just like feel like I was bloating like I was pregnant when I drank beer Mm. and I was so uncomfortable. I'm like, I'm not drinking beer. I'll just drink something else. (laughs) It ended up being um, Irish whiskey. I moved to DC. (laughs) I make friends with the person who runs the whiskey reviewer where I do the bulk of my writing. And he, um, he's from Kentucky. He grew up not too far um, from Woodford. So, like, he grew up smelling bourbon. He taught me a lot about bourbon, just us hanging out and, like, watching boxing or watching sports and just BSing about whatever. And then when he moved to Portugal, he wanted something he could do and gain some money. Mm. But, you know, he's not a Portuguese citizen. He can't have a normal job. Mm. So he's like, I'm doing a whiskey web magazine. And he's like, you're in New York. The whole placement of New York is very key on this. He's like, all the events go through there. Can you help? You know, I was writing about music on the side. And so Mm. all of a sudden it's like, okay, I can write about booze. It's like, you know, and so I start doing it. And then I did like a crash course. Basically, you know, the first time I talked to, you know, any of the old timers, the people who had been in the industry for like 30 years, I realized how much I don't know. Mm-hmm. So I buy a ton of books. I was my major was history. So I'm like, great. I'll use my history knowledge, <laughs> read these books, kind of get it in my head. My whole point yeah. when I interview people is I don't want to be the boring interview. You don't want it to be that you come up and that person starts shaking their head. Oh God, it's this guy again. You're ask me the same <laughs> dumb questions. So my methodology has been do some research on what they've been what they've of prior interviews. So say, okay, fine. They've mm. been interviewed in four other articles or 20 articles in the last 10 years. Go through that. See what hasn't been asked. See what I'm, I'd like to know. People who I are my readers would want to know. Ask those questions sure. and try to get like an interesting response um, just to keep them from being bored and keeping me from being bored. So yeah. that's the st- 
start of me in whiskey as far as writing about it. You know, the drinking, well, you know, you know how it is. Whiskey is its own reward. So I started enjoying it and getting invited to events and all that stuff. It kind of snowballed. And then you get to the books. And it's funny because you're right about it is weird that I do live in some kind of parallel universe because I get all yeah. these emails about cocktail events. And I'm like, you know, I'm a whiskey guy. I've written books on cocktails, but like I'm I'm still learning on that side. And on the book side, it's because I was at my day job and the publisher called me and they're like, hey, could you write a you could write a cocktail book? And I'm like, I write about whiskey. They're like, yeah, but we don't want a whiskey book. We want a cocktail book. Wow. And I'm like, yeah, no, I was like, okay. Um, I was surprised they went to me. I'm like, well, you know, why wouldn't you go to somebody who writes cocktail books or a bartender or something? I think the rationale for that first book was that they wanted somebody who wasn't a cocktail pro, but maybe could like guide people through that universe. Like kind of, you know, I'd hold their hand and give them, I'd have to learn the basics. So I would teach them what I learned and then do things to make it more interesting for the general public. And it is weird. I was at a, I was in Baton Rouge and I was sitting there with a friend and my friend mentioned my name and the bartender stopped. He's like, are you Kirk Maitland? I'm like, yes. He goes, did you write drink? Yes. Oh, we love that book. I wish my owner was here. He'd love to meet you. And I'm like, in my head, I'm thinking, my friends and family bought my book. Not like people I don't know, you know, um, you know, or I, or I do something and like somebody sends me a message and I'm like, Oh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I didn't know you got it. Glad. I'm glad. Great. It's, you know, it's, it is a weird thing and I do have to kind of reconcile the two, you know? So one of the things, one of the things for us around here is Joshua and I in our conversations dip in and out of some cocktail talk, but our, our listeners like to write in and say, I'm getting into cocktails a little more, you know? So, so I'm really curious, mm. Kurt, the way you're describing coming to this world of, well, I'm going to learn and I'm going to share some things with a readership, aside from going out and buying drink, which we hope our listeners will do, what were some of the early things? Did you have some early aha moments or eureka moments as you started to, to do this research on cocktails? Well, certainly I found that, I mean, it's funny coming from whiskey, it's like whiskey is my favorite alcohol, Mm -hmm. but it's not the go to for cocktails. I mean, they're obviously very good and well-loved whiskey cocktails, but, you know, vodka and gin and wine, it's just like rum. They're all easier to play with. That's a trick with with like some of the easier whiskey cocktails are like three ingredients yeah. or you do like the Japanese and you do a highball. Mm. It's like, oh, okay, it's just whiskey and soda. No big deal. Anybody can do it. Um, and so, yeah, part of the, the working through it was, you know, what do I like and what was my methodology? So like my biggest problem hang up with cocktails was the time it takes. Mm. Cause you come home from work, you're mm. tired. You want a drink. Yeah. Do I want to sit there and like look for ingredients and, you know, squeeze a lemon? Do I have fresh (laughs) lemon juice? Because, you know, I mean, you know, I've railed against the fact that like when I was a kid in college, you went to go to a cocktail bar, unless you were in a fancy club or an expensive hotel, most cocktail bars were were garbage. It's just like, you know, there'd be 
somebody with premix or pulling out some old cocktail book and blowing the dust off it. And you see some kind of weird slurry kind of next to the register spinning. And that was the margarita machine or whatever. Whereas now everything's fresh. <laughs> yeah. So, you yeah. know, you come home and it's like, okay, well, so I'm going to, let's say, make a simple syrup. That's five minutes. I'm going to, you know, squeeze some lemons so that I have, you know, fresh lemon juice versus using the stuff. from the Because it is better. Like, Simple advice I can give anybody. Is it? As far as, yeah, well, you know, I'm sure, you know, do it with orange juice or any, especially with citrus. It's nice to get it fresh. You can make it work not fresh. It's just, eh, you know, if I could go with fresh, I'd do it. But again, you come home from work. Who really wants to spend 15 minutes (laughs) getting stuff ready to have a drink? It's like, no, there's a reason people grab a beer or have some wine, yeah. or have some whiskey. Because you know what? Oh, here's my whiskey cocktail. I pour it in a glass. Okay, we're good. Sit down, yeah. have a drink. <laughs> you know, that's it. You know. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's how I started. But I would, I mean, try to do things, make things simple. And also, in regards to cocktails, like, I find mistakes in some of the recipes but the, you only know them as a mistake if you know whiskey. So, like, here's an example. Hmm. Something like a rusty nail. Now, yeah. the problem with a rusty nail is that Drambuie is ungodly sweet. A bunch of rusty rusty nail recipes never mention that the whiskey in question should be a smoky whiskey. Uh, you need something uh, to counteract to balance the, it. the balance of Drambuie. The Drambuie is too sweet. So, like... If you took something like a Balvenie or, you know, a Glenlivet, well, that's like kind of like, oh, you're having waffles. Let me pour honey on top of your syrup and then enjoy eating it. It might work, but the way that a rusty nail is supposed to work is you get a like a blended, a blended smoky scotch or a mm. smoky scotch, and then that kind of balances out the Drambuie. I find because I don't really favor sweet in my drinks, reducing how much Drambuie, because it's supposed to be like half and half, and like really nobody wants half yeah. a glass of Drambuie. So one way I thought about it was, oh, if I could put it in like one of those spray things and make it an aerosol, you know, spray the inside of the glass with like two hits, put in your whiskey, do a floater, so spray a little bit more Drambuie, three spins, done. You have a little bit of Drambuie, to soften the smoky whiskey, but not so much drambuie that you want to vomit. So, you know, because it's part of the That's quite a departure, though, from like a 50-50. Yeah. Because that's how I've, like my, my just using this example of of a rusty nail, because it's so simple, stupid. Like it was 50-50 of Johnny Black and drambuie and put it over some ice and away you go. And I agree, yeah. like that is a sweeter drink. Yeah. But like with and I That's really the drink. Like just doing that's this, really it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that's how I was taught to make it. Yeah. Well and the thing is it's like you're following the instructions. Now it's like I'm telling you about, you know, ways you can change how it yeah. tastes. Like I, I look at it this way. Cocktail books are basically like recipe books. Nobody uses the recipe book and makes it exactly like the book after the first three or four times they make it. You're going to modify it for taste. So in your case, like when you get a chance, you want to do a rusty nail, 
try to change the ratio. Maybe make it two-thirds Johnny and one-third Drambuie. Uh. You still have the sweetness, but, you know, it'll just calm down that sweetness a little bit. You'll still have it there, but it won't be as much. Yeah. It won't be as present. And that might make a more pleasant drink. Um, gotcha. Yeah, I, I had a, a penicillin. I was doing uh, an event with the guys from Cast Chasers and the the woman behind the counter was doing penicillins and she did that same thing. She did like a perfume bottle uh-huh. and she did that with Portis Gag 110 and it amazed me how little Portis Gag you needed to really get that smoky scotch whiskey coming through to, you know, yeah. to sort of make it truer to the penicillin. Um, like that's kind of cool. Like, do you know that the history of that? Like, how you discovered that? Is that something someone taught you to do? Is that something you just played around with? It's for me cooking a little bit. Like, like I said, okay. it's weird for, for me. It's like my thought was when my publisher came to me. I'm like, why would you want me? Why wouldn't you get somebody who's a pro? But yeah. I think they figured my juvenile experimentation would be fine because <laughs> it would work for, you know, the person starting. And, like, I had to game plan out the book so that it was interesting on three levels. So yeah, one level is that um, it has the basics to do, like, a basic bar. How do you deal with ice? So, like, have you guys seen the... Um, movie, the original Conan with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, yes, sir. Yes. Yes, sir. Okay. Oh, yeah. So, 100%. So, yes. I have a, there's a scene in there, I think it's called a Riddle of Steel. And so, I steal from that and I do the Riddle of Ice because it's something you don't think about. But if you use bad ice, you've ruined your cocktail, you've ruined your drink. And in general, yeah. what's in your fridge? It's like you have your ice next to the, you know, last night's meal next to the frozen vegetables, whatever else, it does pick up odors and flavors. Like I have a, when I do a party, I will make ice the night before, put it in the really thick, like reusable freezer bags, and then put fresh mm-hmm. ice in there so that I know it hasn't been sitting. Cause you know, the instinct is watch any old movie, you know, put your hand in the ice box, <laughs> pull out whatever ice is there, crack it out. Yeah. It could have been there for a half, you know, it could have been there to yeah. the point of almost evaporating in the, in the freezer. And dump it in. It's like, well, it's better if you use real ice um, and fresh ice. And that ice you buy at 7-Eleven, that's not real. It's ice. Don't ever put it in your drink. Put it in your cooler and put stuff in the cooler. Do not <laughs> drink that ice. Um, it's just a slushy and a nightmare. But, yeah, so I went through – this was my methodology for the book. It was – or, yeah, the first book. Basically, the publisher gave me a a horde of books that they had already published. I think their idea was we need someone to put um, a new face on what's in these books, but also add new material. So they gave me like 15 books and I used my what I call my paralegal superpowers. I got out of plastic flags, went through every book, flagged the cocktails I wanted to use. Now, there are different Mm -hmm. variations of the same cocktails in different books. So I'm going through and I built like an Excel spreadsheet and I put in or I paid for someone to put it in and I finished it. But it was basically, okay, this recipes and this book. So it was like a grid and it says, um, you know, name of cocktail, book it's found in, what page, 
what's the main ingredient? And so I had this Excel spreadsheet that like went through what I and I made some decisions wow. like all this all the sexy named cocktails. I'm like, those are never anybody's favorite cocktails or nobody I want to hang out with. So I'm taking them all out. So they're, they're none of them in the book. I'm like, you'll find them in other books. You don't need it in mine. I just took them out. So, you know, I did that stuff. Give us I some examples, of, Kurt. When you're saying the sexy names, give yeah. us a couple. Okay. So I'm like, thinking. you know, what's it? Uh, what's it? Slow screw and a beat. Uh, that's what that was uh, in my head. Okay. I was wondering nipple, if that was one. all those. <laughs> Those are the ones. I'm like, yeah, no, I don't want them in my book. I just don't. <laughs> okay. um, because again, it's like I, no friend of mine is into cocktails. We go to a cocktail bar and they ask for that drink. Yeah, you know, it just doesn't. Yeah. So yeah. I'm like, yeah, it's right. like, so I'm doing you a favor by removing it from from the book. Um, so yeah, I put in a lot of basic stuff like you know what tools, how to deal with ice, that kind of stuff. Um, but then. I realized that because I personally was never a bartender. I've made drinks in my home. I've certainly spent lots of times mm-hmm. in a bar, but I was never a bartender. I should get bartender um, input on stuff. So sure. my um, my take is, okay, We I interview a bunch of bartenders I all over the world because their stuff is the same, like – what they um, need to do is the same in general, but in each um, each state, country, you have different concerns because you don't have – it's like, hey, um, I don't have whiskey in Argentina. I don't have much. Mm-hmm. I might have – but I have wine. So my cocktail is going to be more wine-based. Mm-hmm. I'm in Russia. You know, back when Russia wasn't a dirty word. And it's like, okay, well, most of us vodka. We're like, we're using the fruits that are local to us. And that's what yeah. we're basing our cocktails yeah. on. That kind of stuff. Nice. Um, wow. But yeah, so I, I put that in there. So I'm thinking in my head of three levels of potential cocktail maker, book buyer. You got your novice. Yeah. Okay, great. Yep. The methodologies and basic recipes are good for them. For persons who've already been making cocktails, they don't need the methodologies as much, but the cocktail mm-hmm. recipes will be useful. And then for the pros, um, the deal is you figure the interviews from people who are in the business and have bars, ex- you know, all of those people, that would be helpful if you were thinking you wanted to get into that world. The same way I'm sure for you guys, you guys talk to people who were you know, who were already bottling or who were distilling and that kind of stuff. Like you wanted their input, you know, so I pulled that into the book and therefore it kind of made it useful on three levels. And so, that's smart. you know, it was, yeah, well, I was making up for my inadequacies. So, you know, I just did it by (laughs) pulling in help, you know, I tag teams of help to make it better. (laughs) I love that though. It, you know, it be. Because you're writing for me, right? You're writing right. for so many people like you, like me. I think Jason may be a little more. Jason, are you a little more pro on your on your cocktails, or do you just have uh, a small rake of, of go tos? There you go, sir. You have identified me this day. Yes, I have. I have like three. <laughs> I circle amongst maybe four or five that I circle among. Yeah. Um, but I love what you said earlier, Kurt, which I am absolutely guilty of which is when i hear the word cocktail i immediately think whiskey cocktail 
whiskey cocktail. Mm -hmm. And then I tried to think, gosh, how would you write a book of hundreds of whiskey cocktails? Well, you don't, right? <laughs> like yeah. you just rightly said, yeah. like it's not about whiskey. It's about these other spirits. Mm -hmm. And to think, I, yeah. I never, I have no rum cocktail that I do, just, just none at all. And I certainly have no vodka cocktail because I never have any vodka in the house. I'm always thinking about whiskey cocktails or my uh, my mezcal cocktail, my one and only mezcal well, cocktail. Well, the trick is you can substitute mezcal and you can substitute you can take you can take whiskey out and use mezcal and rum in certain cocktails. Hmm. I mean, I end up with having all the ingredients here because people expect mm -hmm. me to. Like, there was a point in time I'm realizing I'm like. Oh, yeah, I need, like, cocktail glasses because people are going to expect me to be able to make a cocktail and make something in my house. So, great, yeah. I have some. I got some vintage ones uh, in Pennsylvania. Um, I keep vodka in the house, but I never drink vodka. <laughs> like, I mean, I drink it if I'm making a cocktail that requires vodka, but, like, it doesn't yeah. really – it just sits there. It's just yeah. – it's lonely surrounded by whiskey. <laughs> Gin, I drink more of. But again, it's more because I'm making cocktails for other people and mm. they, you know, that's what I'm working on, yeah. you know? Yeah. That, that so, makes, that makes so yeah. Is, is there something, just, just as we're kind of going around the categories here, is there a category that makes a killer cocktail that, that nobody's talking about? Well, I mean, I would say like Armagnac, mm -hmm. it depends on what you want to spend, but Armagnac and Cognac... It's like, because people are afraid of dark liquor. I tell everybody it's because I know what happened. Um, people did something bad when they were young. They broke into their parents' <laughs> <of> the cabinet. <laughs> you know, they got, they, they, they found that SoCo bottle. It's funny. Like, I go, no adult makes a habit of drinking SoCo. I go, because what happened was, is like when they were 14, their parents weren't home. <laughs> they found that bottle sitting there and they drank it and it was sweet. And then they were like, you know, in a fetal position for like three days yep. and they couldn't hold oh it down. The smell yes. would get them going. <laughs> I go, well, you know, that's affected the entire whiskey category because people are like, oh, I avoid brown liquor. And I tell people, it's like, it's not the liquor's fault. I don't, I can't even really blame Soko. It's your fault because you were too young drinking it and didn't know how to drink it properly. Um, <laughs> but there's stuff like Armagnac and Cognac. It's like you get a lot of bang for your buck out of those. They're a bit mm. softer than whiskey as far as making a cocktail. They were ready, they're, they're sweeter. Yep. So, because for a lot of people, like, you know, they expect their cocktails for the most part to have a bit of sweetness. So going to them or old rum, because old rum is so much cheaper than old whiskey. And if you put old whiskey yeah. in a cocktail, people tend to want to shoot you in the face. So I'm like, <laughs> you know, old rum. No, no whiskey person cares if you take an old rum and dump it in a cocktail. Yeah. You take a 30-year-old scotch, they want to like stab you and run away with the bottle. So, you know, those I think are ingredients you can work. It's like if you want to go to dark spirits and you don't want to live in the world of, you know, gin and vodka – I would mm. say work with rum, and, you know, tequila. I mean, the thing is with tequila, tequila can be tricky just because, it, like, it has these interesting flavor spikes, which makes it, like, really good for certain cocktails. But you have to be careful of how you use it. Kind of like the drambuie thing where nothing's wrong with drambuie as an ingredient. Yeah. It's just that it's so mm. sweet. You have to be careful how you use it. That makes and sense. like I said, I'm interested to see what happens when you try the drambuie 
you try the rusty nail, but you just change the ratio. Because I offered that challenge to lots of the bartenders I talked to when I was working on the first book. I'm like, take an old cocktail and make it yeah. better. Yeah. So like you can't – the ingredients, the base ingredients have to remain the same. But – you can definitely mess with the ratios. And I think for, I remember mm-hmm. specifically for that one, they cut back on how much Drambuie. They like that, that was the problem. You get like, take a, <laughs> take a really smoky whiskey and then give it a little bit of Drambuie. And the same thing, like, you know, Jason, how you were saying how that little bit, you know, that little bit of, um, was it Jason or was it Joshua? But one, one of you guys had a cocktail. There's a little bit of a smoky whiskey in it. And you can still taste oh, it. Oh, that was me with the penicillin. Exactly. Yeah. It's oh, like yeah. you don't need much. The Coholman? Smoky oh, whiskey. Yeah. yeah, no. It's like there's a smoky whiskey. It has so much presence and power. Like if you dropped mm-hmm. – if you took a dropper and put five drops like into your leather couch if you had one and you came in, you would smell it right away through everything else in the house, yeah. the dust – yeah. People in the house, animals, you would still smell like something. Did somebody spill something? You know, what is it? You know, somebody spilled my, you know, knocked over my Kilhoman or poured Ardbeg into my couch. But you'd smell it right away because it cuts through everything. I was about to ask if leather couch is a cocktail I've never heard of. Like just put four or five drops in your leather couch. Oh, I'd, shit. I've I'd never be, made a leather couch. I'd be, afraid, <laughs> I'd be afraid of a cocktail called leather couch. I'm just thinking of what's in it. You know. Well, it's 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 uh, two parts amaretto, it's uh, one part cream de mint, and uh, cigar ash. Any cigar ash in it? Cigar you know. ash, yeah. You know, think of seventies leather couch. You know, your grandfather would sit there and he'd have a cigar and puff away. It was like that kind of smell, you know, which wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if done That's correctly, delicious. you know. <laughs> little bit of salted yeah. caramel simple syrup to to replicate the uh, Werther's original in his pockets. We'll see. Yeah. Well, that that's one. If you were doing something like that, you want the smoky scotch because you want some to cut through that sweetness. <laughs> you know, you wouldn't want to do like uh, a rum cocktail and like, yeah, let me just pull. Let me just take some uh, some salted caramel put on top of that. Okay. You know. If you go into a diabetic coma, don't, don't blame me. <laughs> no. Two ounces, Drambuie. Um, mm-hmm. So just just for, for global listeners, when you say Soko a second ago, and, and I'm the representative of International here, we're talking Southern Comfort, am I correct? That is very correct. Okay. It's kind okay. of like a dirty word, even though, I mean, I, I don't own it. I don't drink it. It's a useful thing in a cocktail, but I'd sub out other stuff to do what that does. Mm. But it's just like among you get younger people and you're talking about this like or adults and like you can see them kind of go green. You can see them kind of like have like memories of like, you know, oh, again, yeah. being fetal yeah. from the punishment they had from drinking too much of that. But again, it's not the Soko's fault. It's just like you just used it wrong. Yep. <laughs> you yep. know, that was all. Oh, it was or Southern Comfort for your international uh, listeners. Well, and that's the thing. It was Jack Daniels and Southern Comfort were prevalent when I was, you know, of that age mm-hmm. and starting to going to bars and clubs, and and I never understood it. It was always too sweet, which is a topic that right. just just came up recently. Josh and I were in in Seattle to begin uh, February with Jess and Elijah, kicking off his thirtieth year uh, on the planet, and I was talking to a to a bar owner and he we got talking about cocktails 
And he was saying every cocktail his bar manager brings him is sweet. And yep. there, there was there was this mm. desire among young cocktail drinkers to embrace the sweet. And I'm and I'm kind of curious because as as we've said from the beginning here, I don't know cocktails. I really don't. But you've you even know that bit of history with cocktails. Have they always been sweet? Has there always been a category that's sweet? I know we're talking about the rusty nail and this quantity of drambui. Where has sweetness fit in with cocktails? And are we seeing a prevalence because younger people don't know how to drink? And every older generation has said that. Well, I think it's a combo of Mm. things. But with the origin of cocktails, I mean, keep in mind, a lot of your, like the big boom in cocktails, I'd like to think was really prohibition where it kind of came to the public. Um, and the trick is, is that you were using other flavors to mask the fact that people were drinking vodka. <laughs> so, you know, because uh-huh. we know there's like there's a reason somebody gets mad if I take a good 30 year old scotch or a really good like, you know, a 15 or 20 year old bourbon and used to make a cocktail. It can make a good cocktail, but like it's flavor set out on its own and you're kind of diminishing what it's bringing to the table by adding other stuff to it. Whereas for the old cocktails, I mean, you had stuff that was barely alcohol, wasn't alcohol at all. Mm -hmm. You're trying to flavor it so that people could tolerate drinking it. Because, you know, it's funny coming from scotch and going to people who drink just like they drink beer and drink wine. They find the flavor of alcohol to be hard to get down. So, you know, they talk about like, you know, putting sugar with your medicine to make it go down. That's the same thing. It's it's literally, hey, if we make this drink sweet, you're not tasting the alcohol and therefore you'll drink it. And so yeah. for a lot of bartenders, especially if, if you're a bartender and you're doing happy hours and that, you know, you, you'll want to go the sweeter route for your generic customer. Because if you give them something like even a penicillin, which I think is an amazing cocktail, for some people it's too smoky. That little bit of smoke in that is too much for, like, your 70% of the population. There's some people who love smoky whiskey, and they'll go right to it. But, mm-hmm. like, for your average person, you kind of want to start them off with something a bit lighter. I also tell people, like, that's kind of why I will occasionally, if I'm going for whiskey cocktails, I'll go for the highball. Because, of course, it's fairly straightforward, and I'm diminishing the amount of alcohol, you know, softening some of its more mm-hmm. harsher aspects. Because... It's not harsh to us. We've all been drinking cast drink whiskey for years. So we're like, yeah, it's fine. What are you yeah, talking about? Absolutely. But for your average person who's been drinking beer and wine, to shift up to even like, you know, <laughs> your standard, you know, 80, pr- 80 proof, it's hot to them. I'm like, what are you talking about? That's nothing. I, I won't it's even, water. I mean, I only, I only buy 80 proof if it's like a vintage bottle and I can't get something higher. Yep. You know, there are literally famous whiskey companies where generally I won't buy their stuff, not because they don't make good things. I go on auctions looking for their cast strength releases from the distillery before I buy what's sitting on the shelf at 80. Um, Well, that's that's us. That's that's the problem I run into with cocktails is they go down far too easily. And I'm I'm Mm -hmm. drinking a quantity of alcohol that I would never drink straight. Like, I'll make a rye cocktail with two ounces of rye in it. I would never of an evening sit down 
and pour two ounces of <laughs> like that's that's a gigantic pour. And so mm-hmm. it, it's hitting my system real fast. And then I'm, I've got the thirst for it, right? Oh, I'll have a second one of those. That was delicious. And then, right. and then I get a little wobbly oh, in the knees. <laughs> well, I think the thing with cocktails and the sweetness, it kind of gets your guard down. Yes. You know, it's like, oh, I'm drinking juice. It's like yes. it's dessert. Nobody has too much dessert, but you can have too many cocktails. You know what I mean? And the problem with co- – like I tell people when I first started drinking whiskey, they're like, why do you drink whiskey? I go, whiskey is an honest drink. And um, the deal is for whiskey is that you know when you need to stop. If you're yes. not doing shots yeah, and you're yes. sitting there drinking whiskey, yep. you're like, oh, my belly's getting a little bit warm. I'm feeling a little flushed. I'm like, you know what? Hey, maybe get some food, get some water, get something. Let's, you know, slow down. With cocktails, yeah. by the time you realize you've had too many, <laughs> you should have stopped two cocktails. It's too late. 100%. Yeah, because it's like whatever you just put down your throat, it's like, it's still working. It's still going, you know. Um, you're looking at a hangover or something because it's like, yeah, when you notice it, yeah, it's already, it's like you've already been infected. And, you know, you just, just you suck it up. <laughs> And you get this double whammy, right? If you're going out for cocktails at a bar, there, you know, there's peanuts or some sort of a salty mix that's mm-hmm. often, you know, given. So you're like, all right, uh, got to get rid of this saltiness and need something <laughs> to quench my throat. Let me get another cocktail. Mm-hmm. And the cycle continues. Yeah. And you have to kind of pace yourself. I find myself like, okay, yeah. like, you know, I think with any time I go drinking, it's like, okay, water, your cocktail, and... You know, you have your sip, keep drinking the water and keep getting water. Like you almost should be doing a glass of water with every drink. Yeah. And it seems Thank silly. Thank you so much, Kurt. Yeah. You know. Jason is on me. Every I drink water. I drink water with every drink. And Jason, he is on me about this. He, he goes full on Scott. So, like, what are you doing to the whiskey in your well, belly? Well, I mean, I want to... It, 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 it's you got the. It's not affecting the taste of the whiskey, and the whiskey's still in my belly. I'm just trying to make sure I don't like fall down when I stand up. I'm sure we've all done this. You've been sitting down drinking, and then you stand up, and like, why do I feel wobbly? Why do I have to hold up? You know, because yeah, because you've been drinking that whiskey, and it's all by itself in your stomach. Occasionally, yeah. it's a partner, perhaps water, just to calm it down a little bit, so you're mobile, I'm- and you have to be taken care of. I'm less likely to give Joshua a hard time for for rehydrating while while drinking. Mm-hmm. The time Joshua gets you know put over the coals is when he st- starts substituting pints for water or whiskey for water, or he walks into a dive bar and everyone orders booze and Joshua orders a water. Like those are the moments we give Joshua a hard time. Just to be Well, clear. Josh, okay, so the deal is, is this. Okay, I'm going to give you some advice. When you go into a dive bar, get a, get a double of Wild Turkey 101. There you go. Have a sip and drink water and nurse that. Like, listen, there I got, go. what do you want? I got 101. It's every bar will have that. You know, every dive bar should have it. If it's not, it's like, it's a yes. punk-ass dive yep. bar. Because um, really, it's like, listen, I want, I want the 101. Um, so I get that. And then, like, you can nurse water. 
people shouldn't complain if I'm drinking that whiskey and I'm having water. Kurt, Kurt Maitland yeah. is speaking truth right. to power this day. I like this. That's a, Jason, you won't complain, Jason, if I do that? Well, yeah, absolutely. But, but no less. <laughs> Kurt gets The complaining's not going to stop. I'll just complain less. <laughs> Let's be honest. But but, but I, you know, to be fair, I I have it. You know, when I you know, I've got Scottish friends I'm out drinking with, and they're turning down water. They're like, no, that no, just take the water away. <laughs> and I, in my time living in America, have gotten much better at hydrating while drinking, but not substituting. That's that's a dangerous game. Well, I'm, tr- I'm trying to avoid the head. Dangerous. It is dangerous. Exactly. I mean, not, not the yeah. substituting. It's dangerous not to drink a decent amount of water. Because obviously, yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, Especially you know, at our age, Kurt. I mean, yeah. come on. Well, okay. Yeah. I mean, we won't get into specific ages, but I'll, I mean, we all know. I'm sure we've gotten into this point where, like, okay, when we were young, yes, if you hurt yourself, you knew why you hurt. So, like, oh, my ankle yeah. hurts because I was playing football or basketball with my friends, and I twisted my ankle. Now I wake up and I'm in random pains. No, I'm like, I was sleeping. I did nothing. Why does my knee hurt? I just was laying here. I didn't go for a walk. You know, it's like, it's just like this weird thing of, you know, it's like jack in the box pain. You just wake up and something's wrong, but you don't know what, you know. Oh, my neck hurts because I slept. Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I crossed the yeah. street. I, I shouldn't the pain do that of existence. I shouldn't do that anymore. You know, uh, you know, it's just weird. I, or I'm not drinking enough that I know. If I drank more, I wouldn't notice, you know. See, that's, that's the secret, right? That's the secret. Um, I, I, one more follow-up question just from the, the, the line of questioning that we've had here, and then I'll, I'll give Josh the floor again. But you've mentioned this a couple of times, and it was one question that I had for you, which is people will look at you sideways if you put a 30-year-old scotch into a cocktail. Um, people kick you out of an establishment for, for doing such a thing. There's also this idea of you should you should drink what you like. And, you know, if, if you think that's a good flavor profile, you should... You should do it. Now, we're getting into a world of expense here. And there's this idea of, you know, restaurants want to do the gold leaf burger and put it on the menu for $1,000 and it's all just marketing bullshit. But <laughs> putting, putting that kind of nonsense aside, do you think there's a law of diminishing returns with cocktails? And do we reach a point where there are some things we should not be putting in a cocktail? I mean, I think that the deal with cocktails, in my opinion, depending on the spirit, is that um, it doesn't hurt to upscale, but it's really spirit dependent. Hmm. So like high-end vodka versus low-end vodka, there's not much difference. I mean, really, you're talking marketing and somebody paying for a bottle. <laughs> but just generically, if it's actually if it's actually vodka, there's not so much of a difference. Um so I wouldn't – if I was making a vodka cocktail for people, you're fine with, you know, the standard stuff. I mean if you really wanted to go low, you could get the stuff in plastic and get like Cossack, <laughs> which, you know, whoever you, whoever your, 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 your local alcoholic will know what it is because they, they can get it by the like, you know, 175 bottle of it. But Serious. with whiskey, there's a qualitative difference if you upgrade like – 
the base bourbon or base rye you're using. Mm-hmm. If so, for example, you know, if you used wild turkey, the 80 proof wild turkey, and went to the 101, you would taste it because it's more alcohol, it's a mm-hmm. stronger flavor. Um, I think with like a rye, like I'd take something like, you know, like the Michter's standard bourbon or the Four Roses, like, you know, one of those. It's going to have more bang in your cocktail than, let's say, generic Jack Daniels. Or, you know, if you're doing Jack Daniels, go to like Gentleman Jack. It's like for whiskey, because, I mean, that stuff, it tastes better neat than the, the standard releases. So there's certainly a, you know... Generally, for your cocktail, it should be better if you put a better whiskey in. But I find that, like, I don't have a reason to do that with, let's say, 20-year-old, 15-year-old. I think it's just, like, maybe if, if you have three categories of whiskey, go to the middle-class whiskey. Not, you know, mm-hmm. go there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with rum, um, certainly better rum. But, again, middle-class rum doesn't hurt. Gin. Mm-hmm. Gin is the one where I might pay more for a boutique or a small batch gin because, you know, if they're using a lot of botanicals or whatever else, it's like, okay, there's interesting flavors I'm getting here that I wouldn't get from just generic Gordons, you know. But that said, it's like (laughs) I I was in London in November and uh, Dr. Nick and Isabel Graham Ewell took me to Duke's and their amazing bartender, like Isabel brought vintage cocktail ingredients. So like a Gordon's from like the sixties, an old Campari and something Ooh. else. And like, I, I, I'll send you guys the link, but I have like the bartender making um, Alexandra, I believe uh, making the cocktail and definitely, you know, even though this stuff was old, and it was vintage. It was amazing. People are staring at this, and I'm like, yeah, it's not It's not for you. It, it's just for us. Um, you know, his guys got some. Because obviously, he needed it. He made it. He needed to drink some, and the other bartenders got a taste. Mm. But yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think some people do the big, like, expensive spirits or the stuff in restaurants. It's more for show. Yeah. Like, there's no thousand dollar burger I'm looking to eat. Yeah. I mean, I could probably, I could legitimately buy like an entire cow for a thousand bucks. So it's like, <laughs> why would I buy, you know, a burger? And then Josh knows about like, you know, buying gear. It's like, I could buy a guitar, which would last me yeah. way longer for less than a thousand bucks. Longer than, a, than, than the time it takes me to have a meal. Yeah. And let it pass through my system. So I'm like, yeah, maybe I get the maybe I maybe I get an instrument instead or something, you you know, a nice stereo system or nice speakers, something that will last you, you can give to your kids or the kids you don't have or, you know, your friends to something that like you can keep things you that are disposable that you drink, you know, you, you I, I get more pleasure savoring a small taste of really expensive whiskey. I you guys are at the remember when I used to do the old and rare. Yeah, I was happy mm-hmm. with the small pores and just yes. taste things, and I just yes. kind of build out yeah. my my memory and my knowledge base of like, oh, that's what this whiskey tasted like when it was made here, and here's what it tastes like now. So I can talk about it intelligently to whoever, yeah, you know, who decides that they want to put up with me, yeah, <laughs> no. <laughs> 
So um, I wanted to shift gears from cocktails, if if we mm-hmm. could, for a sure. little bit. And your mention of the old and rare reminded me of this. Like, and I mentioned this from the outset. Like, to us, you're you're Kurt, the whiskey guy. That's that's how we really know you. And so, mm-hmm. like for us, for me, well, I I think this could be said for so many people, right? When you're drinking whiskey the way we're drinking whiskey, it's you're there because of the passion. You're you're driven towards it. There's something about you that's pulling you in. And I'm curious, like you you'd mentioned before, right? You you started drinking other things because you couldn't do the beer, right? right. So what what was it about whiskey that pulled you in? Was there a particular pour? And then what keeps you going down that rabbit hole? Because if you're like us and you're going to an old and rare show, like you're in a very specific rabbit <laughs> hole to be going down. And so I'm just curious how that all started for you. And, and Well, yeah. I remember I mentioned the whole history thing. Big fan of history and the history of whiskey. It's more interesting than the history of like beer or gin, or rum. Mm. It doesn't take anything away from how those drinks taste. But as far as, like, going through, like, the history in Scotland, going through how whiskey was developed here in the United States, how it was developed in Ireland, how it's created and worked on in Japan, that always intrigued me. And going to the festivals and, like, getting, I mean, you can't see it, but it's like a, Entire bookshelf, which is nothing but whiskey books and booze samples, but that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> and, you know, um, it's like in my head, I'm trying to put together a puzzle and piece together yeah. how things work and why things happened and the effects of different changes. So I've taught whiskey classes online just, you know, for the Museum of Distilled Spirits. And it's fun. Mm-hmm. Like you go through and it's just things that I learn in passing, like how like the the U.S. and Europe accidentally destroyed the domestic um, Japanese market um, in the 70s during the Whiskey Lake. Because what happened was when the Whiskey Law kicked in, they wanted to find ways to, you know, somebody to sell this whiskey to. So they dumped a lot of cheap whiskey in Japan. Mm. The cheap whiskey in Japan mm. annihilated the Japanese market because all of a sudden, like, why am I buying Japanese whiskey when I can get cheap American bourbon, cheap blends and cheap scotch and cheap Irish? So it okay. wasn't like that wasn't the intent. It was simply that they needed an outlet in some place else for this booze to go. It went to Japan. And when it went to Japan, that's what hurt, you know, the brands that we love and we miss, like Hanyu and that. That's mm. what hurt them because there's all this influx of all this extra whiskey. But it's not like, you know, you have to go and put together all the the threads. You have to, like, look at, like, well, what's going on here? You know, you have the the one that's more obvious is, like, okay, Ireland and how Ireland was actually, you know, dominant with whiskey prior to Scotch. But they got hurt by um, Prohibition here and the the two world wars. But Prohibition was the worst Mm -hmm. because the Irish didn't have a good way to get around prohibition, whereas the the Brits did. The Brits could dump stuff into Canada, and from Canada, it could get into the U.S. So, like, yeah, Yeah. they still had – their spirits were still being sold. The Irish had no good way to do an equivalent. 
So therefore, you know, their distilleries died on the vine. And the, you know, again, World War One, Prohibition, World War Two, that's a long time to be offline um, and mm. having lost your customers or and not having another place to get new customers. Um, so, yeah, I think it's wow. the history and the little bits and nuggets I find as I'm piecing together in my head this like whiskey puzzle um, keeps me going and interesting. And of course, again, the whiskey itself, um, because you find whiskeys you love and then you want to get more of it. And then like you're on the auction, like people ask me about like whiskey auctions. and I'm like, I could talk to you about it, but the problem is it's kind of like giving your friend a clean needle. <laughs> yeah, because you know that like, you know, it's like, you know, if I'm your friend, do I put you on this road where you're spending all this money? Yeah. You know, I'm your friend. It's like, yeah. you know, your wife might now hate me. Your spouse, your significant other might hate me because, you know, why am I sending, you know, Tam at whiskey, you know, <laughs> scotch whiskey auctions, you know, $1,000 a month to pay for the damn bottles I want. It's not his fault. It's just what it is, you know, or whiskey.auction other places. <laughs> it's simply like. There are things you want to taste and it'll help you piece together the puzzle. And mm. there, so I go on auctions to do that. I would go to old and rare, hang out with Sekinder if he lets me again, if he puts <laughs> up with me or my collector friends, um, because there's just like, you know, if you go to the festivals and you, you know, hang around the old hands and they're like, yeah, McCallan doesn't taste the way it used to. Yeah. And I remember talking to somebody in a show and I'm like, in all honesty, None of those whiskeys do, but they shouldn't. And if you think about it, every single aspect mm. of whiskey making has changed between the 50s to now. It's like you go from, you know, quality of wood, how you're heating up, you know, whatever, where you're getting your grains from. Everybody's getting the grains from the same place or same places because they yeah. can't make enough domestically or regionally to fulfill their need. Well, that's different than it was in the 40s. You know, it's like yep. sherry casts were cheap back then. They're not cheap now. Mm -hmm. You know, back then you might beat the hell out of whatever barrel you use and keep it for as long as possible. Now, depending on what company, what brand, they're better about managing the usage. And that's for good yep. or for ill. Yeah, sure. But like, but like, you know, if you figure if you change the grain source, how you cook it. Um, you know, how long you age it because, you know, we know that like nobody was really aging stuff. Like that was a joke. I remember first trip to Isla having old, having Chivas, but from the fifties. Hmm. And I'm like, wow, this is amazing. I'm like, if it tastes like this, I would buy it on a regular basis. But then I realized <laughs> what happened was there was no sing, there was no aged single malt market in the fifties. So you know what yeah, would happen exactly. is that like, oh, you had half a barrel of, you know, 30-year-old um, Streth Isla sitting there. You know where it's going, right? <laughs> it's like it's going yeah. in the blend because I want to use the barrel. You know, I want to put something new in there. And so, yeah, those are all better because there was no outlet for that old whiskey. You know what I mean? And all that stuff I love reading about. And again, it's like it's the, you know, wannabe half-assed historian in me. And whiskey lets me, you know, <laughs> keep that fantasy going for as long as possible, you know? Yeah. No, no, we actually, we had that question from James Foster in the mailbag episode that closed out season six for us. And he was at a Talisker tasting 
uh, they'd been put on by me. And <laughs> he'd, he'd run home afterwards and tasted it up against the old Taliskers that had been on his shelf. And even the space of 10 years, there were significant differences. You can do the same, mm-hmm. you know, go back 10, 20 years on Highland Park, radically different there. McAllen is a classic that we all talk about. But, mm-hmm. you know, as we talked about it and we ruminated on the mailbag, it's kind of like, yeah, they're all changing all the time. And the, you know, the fact that we would try to hold on to some platonic ideal of Talisker is, is never going to be successful. Um, we're still marching into the future with more efficient techniques, grain sources, malting. It is an ever-changing landscape for our industry. And and, and I don't think any of us want to be the next generation who says, oh, you like that, kid? You should have tasted it 20 years ago, right? Because that's exactly what we encountered when we got into whiskey 20 and almost 30 years ago. But you know that's our future, though. Right. You know we're going to do it. It's inevitable. We'll be sitting there. Exactly. And we'll be at a bar. Inescapable. And and like, why are you drinking that crap? It used to be so much better 15 years ago, you know. You're just drinking swill, kid. Um, that'll be us. Um, you know. Holy crap. Um, it's it's not it's it's not like we plan on it. It's just kind of like you know, just like we degenerated to that right? at some point. Right, right. It's just, um, just the inevitable, uh, inexorable march towards the grave, you might say, uh, as Joshua yeah. approaches oh, oh. fifty in twenty twenty three. But but it's also Damn it, Jason. <laughs> It's all right. I'm already there, so I don't mind. I've already crossed the Rubicon, so don't worry about it. But yeah, the thing is, also, when you think about these old whiskeys and what you're tasting, it's like it's kind of like what you're used to. It doesn't mean the new version's bad. I mean, I do have... It's different. You know, there's certain... Yeah, there's certain whiskeys I've locked on into that I love. But I love, like, a certain window of that whiskey. Um... But then the thing is, it's like there are always other whiskeys you can discover. If you're actively interested in whiskey and you know the flavor profiles you like, there are other whiskeys that would give you that or something similar and mm. new discoveries, whatever, and you should get into those. Yeah. So, like, if it is you're like, oh, well, I don't like what McAllen is right now, you know, there are other shared, heavily shared whiskeys. There are other options you could drink if you like a heavily like, shared yeah. whiskey. Try those. Maybe that might be closer to what you think your platonic idea. Because everybody has their ideal. I mean, yeah. it's hard. People ask me, and I'm like, uh, my first thought is to grab, you know, a cast strength independently bottled something. Somebody asked me for like, what's my favorite? That's what I want. I want a cast strength independently bottled something. Yep. Um, hmm. That's just where I go because I've been, you know, it's kind of like I, I look at it like you know when you were when you were a little kid. A kiss from a girl was a big deal, you know. You get older, it's like, yeah, I might want, I want, might want the bonus plan. I want, want something else. So invariably, like, I need something that, like, I've been drinking for years at this point. So I need something that's a bit, mm. um, whether it's like, you know, the whole issue of proof, and like, you know, the level of alcohol, because alcohol is flavor. You know, the more water you're adding, you're kind of exactly. taking out some yeah. of what what the cask is giving you. Mm-hmm. So maybe I want it close to cask strength. I mean. I don't want it to melt my face. I don't want to reenact the end scene from Raiders of the Lost Ark. But, you know, I have a fairly high tolerance. So certainly, you know, I can do it under the right circumstances is my take. 
Kurt, as if we weren't already enjoying this conversation, you've thrown in additional Conan, original Conan references and original Indiana Jones <laughs> references. You are our people, Kurt. This Amazing. is just, this is splendid. Yeah, well, because um, you know, I'm within your cohort is what it is. <laughs> you know, we all grew up on the same track. <laughs> Men of a certain age. <laughs> um, yeah. so, so I do have, I've, I've maybe one more question then maybe we can we can start wrapping up and getting us out of here. But it's along this lines of, and I love this, this thread of history you've weaved through today's conversation, but... It's interesting as as we've learned about the launch of new Scotch distilleries. There's there's something so potentially exciting there that the Lochlee is our first Lochlee, the Ardnamurkin, the Rassi, um, the the Holyrood. Right, these are all our firsts from these distilleries, and, and I'm kind of curious on your perspective on uh, a Port Ellen coming back online right we've got brora back online and i and i know you had a visit there uh with jess mm-hmm. uh, not too long ago mm-hmm. um and then we've got rosebank coming back online given what you've witnessed and given how you think about whiskey what do you think life will look like for these old distilleries coming back online compared to these newly opened distilleries well, what's interesting to me is that like a lot of these distilleries, you know, it's like they were co- components and blends. They were things that people, you know, like they weren't well loved. I mean, they were loved, but they weren't like the highest profile or else they wouldn't <laughs> yeah. have died. Yeah. You know, yeah. they would have stayed open, yeah. whatever yeah. else. And so, <clears throat> you know, they got they got attention much later. People realized how good they were. When left alone, not put into a blend, you know, given time to age. Because, you know, I find for um, for especially for scotch, um, but for most whiskeys, there's like a certain window, but it's specific to the brand. Mm. So, like, you know, if you don't like young Glenn Grant and you're not Italian drinking on a beach, you know, as you know, as a spritzer, <laughs> um, you know, try because my first encounter with it was young and I'm like, oh, what's the big deal? I had it much older. I had it when it was like 25 and I'm like, oh, I get it. Now I get it. But it's like, mm. it's because that brand, it's just a certain part of the maturation process. You're not getting the full benefit at 10. You're getting it at 18. You're getting it at 20. <laughs> you're getting it at 30. Like it's a whiskey you want to have older. Whereas there's certain whiskeys, like, you know, especially with peated whiskeys, Coila at eight is great. You know, just like, it's fine. It's, it's what it is. Um, so, with the new ones, I mean, what I hope people do is evaluate these new whiskeys on their merits, especially the ones that are kind of taking over for old existing namesakes. So that's Brora and, you know, that mm. would be Rosebank. Because the same way we said with like, you know, McAllen never shut down, but McAllen can't make what McAllen used to be. They, they couldn't do it if they yeah. tried. Yeah. I mean, we had the same thing. 2015 Face Shield person I was hanging out with, he brought um a he brought an old Lafroy 10. One of those ones that are like sherry colored because <laughs> oh that's yeah. the cast they used. And like he took it with us to Lafroy and he poured a little bit for everybody who was on the line. And the older guys who were around were like, yeah, we can't make this anymore. Like, you know, just like this whiskey you've given me, it's made in this distillery. We cannot make this yeah. anymore. So I just want people to be fair. Like, I love that these brands are coming back. I've always loved Bro. Like, 
anything that gives me more Broros Klein leash on in the world, especially knowing that like the brands are going to do what they can to kind of like flavor match, get it close to, or at least in a reasonable prox- approximation. The only problem, of course, is that like you know these distilleries just opened. Yeah, I, I'm not you know. I'm getting an 18 year old Brewer. Will I be pushing 70 when that comes out? You know what I mean? It's like, because the thing is for Brewer, you you know, you weren't, you weren't drinking it at 10. It was going in blends. So I'm curious to know one, Mm -hmm. what are the first releases? Rosebank, I could see being a bit easier because again, it's like, you know, it's, it's floral. Maybe you can do a 10, like think like more like Glenmo for that. But I guess, yeah, to go back, what I like is I, I like everybody to kind of give all these distilleries, the new ones that are starting from scratch or the <laughs> old ones kicking, starting up again, give them kind of time to kind of catch, you know, get their sea legs going. I fully expect that the brands, because they're run by people who are smart and the people who are distilling for them, whatever, mm. they know what they're trying to hit. But you're going to get some old geezer, and it could be we could be that old geezer, depending <laughs> on when this stuff us. comes out. Uh, it could be us. Oh, this, this isn't as good. This isn't as good as the Bora that Colin Dunn poured for me at the whiskey show in 2018. It might not be, but it's his own thing, and it should be kind of valued as such. Because I mean, I, th- I think it. I give people side eye when they tell me. They only drink one whiskey, whether it's bourbon. It bugs me for bourbon. It bugs me in the States. It bugs me for like, I know people in the, in the States who won't drink, they won't drink scotch and they won't drink Irish. They almost feel like it's a betrayal. Like they focus on bourbon, but I'm like, how are you going to know about the, if you're going to compare and you feel that you love bourbon, how are you going to, unless you taste the other stuff, at least you can, in your head, again, have that like kind of that flavor dictionary that you can kind of say, oh, well, what's this yeah. and how is this? And same thing I remember somewhere, probably was at the whiskey show, some guy pulled me aside. It's like, so isn't bourbon like an inferior form of scotch? And I'm like, no, it's whiskey. You know, it's different in some respects, but it's the same process. Yeah, but I mean, I'm serious. It's like, I think he was – Oh, I've heard it, yeah. And yeah, and I'm like, no, it's just, and I tell people, you know, I love scotch, I love whiskey. The advantage that, like, the thing about bourbon is like, I use the example of pizza. If you want pizza, I can't give you ravioli, and ravioli fits the bill. I want pizza. That's bourbon. Like, there's times when you want bourbon. Or you want rye, you want that flavor, that flavor profile. Nothing else on the planet tastes like that. And I can give you Italian food. I can give you a sub. I can give you meatballs. It's not a pizza. <laughs> you know, same thing with scotch. And like, and scotch, you know, the the nice thing with scotch and as they develop the American single malt category, it'll be something we can kind of do more of here, yeah. yep. is that. You can play a bit more the same way we're talking about with the ratios in a cocktail. It's like, oh, well, hey, I can use several different casks. I don't have to use, you know, a brand new barrel because a brand new barrel is harsh. Yep. It, and used properly, it's amazing. But, you know, it's like I don't like what I call licking a park bench and I don't like it to be overly woody. And like there are people who have done a good job of kind of taming that wood flavor with you know how much water they add what proof are they having it at whatever else 
But it's like nobody loves, unless you're crazy or you don't know any better, an overly woody whiskey. Mm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, but that's part of what you're getting with, you know, with some bourbons. And I think the people who make really good bourbon know how to balance out those flavors. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's – I think balance for everything is the key. Yeah. You know, letting Josh have his water so he doesn't fall down and hurt himself. <laughs> um, and his wife doesn't wow. stab one of us. You know, on, and, you know, fig, <laughs> f- figuring out how, like, not to have too much drambuie. So that, like, you know, you don't get sick. <laughs> or not to drink stuff in comfort if you can't take it. You know, don't put it to your head. Um, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I really like this. I, I liked your thoughts on on how to look at these revived distilleries, these rebuilt distilleries. And it is kind of treat it like the new guys because we're going to experience whiskey from these distilleries in a way that no one else has. So we get to, we get to do some, you know, when I use this story all the time, you know, when Kilhoman was built 2005, I got into whiskey right around 2006, 2007. I discovered Kilhoman in 2007. So I got to sort of grow with whiskey as they were growing as a whiskey producer and now we get to do the same with Port Ellen, with Brora, with Rosebank, with you know who, whoever else they decide to to revive, and that's that's kind of a cool and special place to be in, I think. It is weird to be doing it with like established names. The fact that like yeah, I can get a Rosebank. I have. I'm gonna buy myself some Brora this year. It's like I've been promising myself I'm gonna buy some as a gift, and I mean it's just like. You know, it's just crossing the Rubicon as far as the price threshold. But I'm like, I love I love old Klein Leash and I love Brora. So, like, if I'm going to spend money on, like, an older whiskey. Because I found, I don't know about you guys as far as what you're buying, but, like, my buying habits have changed. You know, it's like, I, 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 I now I'm looking for things that are more exotic. I'm looking for some random one-off bottling of Highland Park versus me buying the generic, you know, Highland Park in the store. I'm like, eh, yeah. you know, whatever. And... Something that somebody told me early with craft whiskeys, which I imagine is going to play out with the revamped or relaunched whiskeys, is that, you know, you're going to be paying for them to get better is what it really is. It's like Mm -hmm. they're going to put out their release and you're going to buy it and drink it and love it. And, you know, we're going to we're going to comment, you know, whether it's to them directly to whether it's on the Web, whether it's to our friends and they will tweak what they're doing based on that feedback. But it's weird thinking that these are established names. You say Brora, Brora has a history, but yeah. this is new Brora. It's like there's a kind yeah. of like break from like the Brora of the 80s to this yeah. Brora. Yeah. And Hopefully you ex- I expect them to do a great job. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, well, the thing is with New Coke is they were basically, they were trying to make a Pepsi so they could kind of like eat up Pepsi's market. But the problem was they, they, they got rid of their original Coke. It's like, if you wanted to do that, you should have kept the original one and put out the new one and seen if it worked. But people were so mad mm-hmm. about new Coke and you got rid of the old Coke that they're like, oh, screw you. I'm not buying any of it. So then, you know, that's what it was, you know? Um, so for broader you, classic. You, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, they'll be on auction sites. Yes, I mean, auction sites looking for, you know, old and, you know, well, I have some collector friends I'm going to hit up. Like, we all have these friends who have lots and lots of bottles. 
And I keep thinking like mm-hmm. versus them putting stuff on auction. It's like, how about if I make your sweetheart deal for like some of your, you know, <laughs> some of your, you know, Diageo rare malts from back in the day, oh, because it's like, yep. you know, yep. if I buy it off you directly, you're not, you don't have to worry about shipping it and you're not losing the hit <laughs> from the auction house. So Maybe if you bring the price out a little bit and I'll just pay you cash, I'm like, we're good. Not that so we sound like addicts in any way. Remember the needle <laughs> reference. I, I did mention needles. It, it does, you know, there, there are some similar. You know, well, when there's some things where like, you know, again, it's like methadone in this case won't do. It's like I want Aurora. So I got to go get somebody to buy, sell me Aurora from the 80s. Um or the people who are cranky and they're like, oh, I don't like new Macallan. And like, you know, okay, you're stuck. You're stuck buying, you know, auction bottles, the old Macallan. The funny thing is with that, not the bag on Macallan, but it's like Macallan is priced so high that like it's not actually that much more expensive to buy like a bottling from the 90s, which would have been made in the 70s, than mm-hmm. it is to buy like a Macallan now. Yeah. It's like at this point, it's like, if I pay an extra hundred bucks and I get seventies McAllen, it's kind of worth it. Wow. <laughs> you, know, at that point, you know. Wow. I'm actually I'm actually surprised people are saying that McAllen isn't as good as it was way back then because no one's opening their bottles. They're just buying them. I don't even know if anybody knows what modern McAllen yeah. tastes yeah. like. I, I've been saying the same well, about Pappy you- for years. <laughs> Oh, no one knows what Pappy tastes like anymore. (laughs) Well, that's a whole other other thing with with that. It's like, I mean, here, we'll let the dirty secret out. Like, if you're buying modern Pappy, it's not the Pappy everybody was crazy about because it can't be. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, it's, you know, it's not Stitzel. You know, it's and it's like, we know this, but it's like, yeah. Okay, so you're paying crazy money. You're paying thousands of dollars for old Buffalo Trace. Really? Okay, enjoy that. I'm gonna go buy me my old Brora for less. <laughs> That's the crazy thing is I'm gonna go buy Brora from the '80s for less money than you're gonna spend for for old Buffalo Trace. Yeah, that's and not the that's not the not the Buffalo thing. Trace, but I'm like, you see, there's no Buffalo Trace twenty on the shelf, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So so yeah, um, but yeah, I have my I have my little my ones I want to get. Um, and that requires the auction houses and needles and, you know, or friends who collect to, you know, allow me to buy from them. Because, you know, there's a certain magic time with whiskey where, like, the people who are 10 years older than us, the Whiskey Lake hadn't quite receded yet. And yeah. brands are giving away whiskey. Like, you look at what the like what the rare malt releases were and how cheap they were. Like, oh my gosh. Oh, yeah. here. Insane. 18 and 20 year old scotches. And those things were like, what were they, 60 pounds at the time or something yeah, crazy? Ball, ball, ball. And they were like, and they were like bourbon strength. Like these weren't like, oh, it's 90. It's like, no, this will take the friggin' enamel off your teeth. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, I love those things. And they're not around anymore. So I have to overpay to get some. But that's the kind of stuff mm-hmm. I'm interest, interested in, you know? Yeah, the, the trouble but it for costs me. money. When those were coming out, I was just getting into whiskey. And so for me, my journey started in 96. And and seeing mm-hmm. those hit shelves, I was just starting to learn about pricing. And mm-hmm. the pricing then was so much more than what you could otherwise buy. But in right. hindsight, 
the price was ridiculously cheap uh, <laughs> for where it has gone since. I'd say. And, right? And yeah. it's it's all of that. It's so painful to look back and think, gosh, we were tasting those in our Aberdeen University Whiskey Society. And, and those were kind of end of night pours where you got up in right. price. And you were like... Oh yeah. gosh, I can't believe we're drinking, you know, 60, 70, you know, pounds here. Like, gosh, this is a lot of money. Yeah. And now you'd be like, please, like, whatever. <laughs> you know. Right. Well, that's my hope with hitting up my collector friends. I'm like, they bought them at those prices. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. the ones, I mean, the ones I know, they they have money. They're not, they're, you know, they're they're not, you know, so like for them. There's probably some like that not dealing with the hassle of an auction house. And don't get me wrong, auction houses provide a very useful service. But like, you know, there's probably some way to reasonably have a transaction where everybody's happy. They're getting way more than they paid for the bottle. I get a bottle mm. I would treasure. And I would tell them, I'm like, listen, I will open it up in front of you right now. Like it isn't going to the <laughs> I'm drinking it. So, you know, if you want, like let's let's have let's Open it up and let's have a dram right now, and then I'm taking it home, open, and I'm gonna drink it slowly. Um, because yeah, that's where it's that's where it's at. Because you know, I stopped buying, like chasing after whiskey as far as like new releases. There was a point in time I would yes. kind of like mm. try to stock up, and that's mm -hmm. kind of that stopped. Now it's been there's certain ones I love, um, like the Macallan Grand Reserva, which is ungodly expensive. But I remember loving that whiskey when I got to taste it. I don't know if it'll ever come a point where I'll drop the money to buy one of those. Because, I mean, again, like that's Brora money. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I yeah. could spend that money on yeah. Brora yeah. or an old Klein Leash or something. Maybe I'd do it there. Mm -hmm. But I certainly enjoyed that. If a bottle like that dropped into my lap at the right price, I would get it. But that's what I'm looking to get, like that kind of stuff. I don't need... 50s releases i'd love that like late 50s early 60s lafroy but again it's like same thing it's like but what's stupid is expensive as that thing is that's still probably cheaper than somebody buying like the pappy 23 and i'm like you do know there's a quality difference right crazy yeah, yeah. like this thing is actually old. Yeah. <laughs> it is they don't, they're, they're very it's actually old <laughs> yeah with history yeah and not, not that the pappy doesn't but you're looking at and you know Decades yeah. ago, whiskey. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, to the point where, like, yeah. again, the guys at Lafroy, like, we can't make this. That's why I want to have yeah. a little bit of it. Yeah. To, yeah. And to share it with my friends, like, not to hoard it, to give my friends some so they can taste it or we can talk about it. And because that's the fun, that's the fun part of whiskey. Like, I, you know, it's not hanging around getting drunk. No, like, no, some, definitely. Some people not. make that assumption. No. I'm like, no. no, it's like we sit and we'll talk about, like, you know, going to distilleries or cool trips or amazing bars or like something that you had that blew you away. And keep in mind, we drink whiskey all the time for like a whiskey to catch your fancy to the point where like it blows away other whiskeys. Because I mean, what, you figure we drink a hundred plus new whiskeys a year? We're certainly tasting them because mm. somebody's here, Kurt, drink this, you know. You guys yeah, are yeah, out. Yeah, right. You guys are doing samples for your own concerns, you know, for the things that you work with. Mm -hmm. And there's still things that stand out within that that are so much of like, you know, I get free whiskey. I will go buy that whiskey or I will spend extra money Absolutely. to get yeah. this, whatever it is, you know. Uh, you've inspired me to get you out of here on a different question than we normally get people out of. Because because of this history thread, normally we get out on the future, but because of this history thread, 
I, I'm actually going to put the Mark Watt question to you because you just said it a second ago, which is we have whiskey, alcohol carries flavour, and so we, we drink and enjoy and share this alcoholic beverage. Mark Watt's question is, if we could get whiskey to taste exactly like whiskey tastes without it containing any alcohol, would you continue to drink it? I imagine I would, but I would probably drink it less. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like you, want, you want the flavors. Look, I mean, the, the thing that's tied together with all of it is that, like, you're having a good time with your friends – Alcohol is a social lubricant. You like the flavor, you know, but it's like, mm. I like the flavor of certain juices. I don't drink them all the time. <laughs> I drink them on occasion. I drink them sporadically. I like certain yeah, sodas. Exactly. Like, I like the taste of Coca-Cola. I drink Coca-Cola, you know, maybe like 12 of them a year. Like, because uh-huh. I'm like, I know it's whatever. I figure I'll take the risk for alcohol. It's like, so this goes to me and non-alcoholic cocktails. I get why they exist. And I understand there's like totally valid reasons. I personally don't like them. Not that you shouldn't have something to drink. I in one of my books I did all these infusions. So I'm like, oh, there's cool things you can do where they look like cocktails. They don't have any alcohol, and they serve a dual purpose. You can either you don't use water, use alcohol, and you have an alcoholic cocktail, or use water and you infuse the water and you have a non-alcoholic cocktail. They look roughly the same, but they taste different. Um, but for me, I guess it's, a, it's me being lazy is what it really is. Like I go through all this effort and then there's no alcohol in it whatsoever. I'm like, <laughs> it reminds me of like in the nineties, one of my, one of my roommates from, one of my roommates from grad school, he, uh, he, his cousin, no, he was getting married and I think it was in like, might've been in Mississippi. So me and another friend, me and Rich drive to Mississippi, we get to the wedding and we find out the wedding's dry. I'm like, wait a minute. I drove I drove 1,500 miles for a dry wedding? Are you crazy? You know? So it's like, I remember like literally like eating the food. And I had fun at the wedding. And I found me some old juke joint like literally down the street and sat there and yeah. like watched a boxing match with these old guys and drank whiskey there. Because I'm like, yeah, the yeah. wedding was nice and I had dessert, but I really wanted to have a drink and I drove this far and I got nothing. So you know what? I'm going to the juke joint and hang out with these old guys who I don't know, but we're going to have a good time. And, you know, we had the social lubricant and it worked out. That was the thing. So uh, that's, a, that's a thorough answer. I, I like that a lot. We haven't asked that question of anybody in a while and it just seemed the perfect time for it. So thank you for, for mm-hmm. engaging with us. Uh, this this has been tremendous, Kurt. Of, of the times we've hung out together in New York uh, and at Old and Rare, I haven't had a chance to sit and talk to you for an hour and 20 minutes, uh, uninterrupted by anything people. else. You know, what happens is, is that we you know we hang out at Old and Rare. Well, there's all that whiskey distracting us. And then like all these people that we know come in to talk to us. So, of course, you know, we don't get to just hang out. Josh exactly. has got to hang out with me more because, you know, he's been here for all these tastings. And we can, you know, post. And he's been in the apartment, actually. Whoa. So when I get Brora, you know, That's you can right. come out and have some. And actually, you know, Jason, if you will, if you will brave the terror of New York, uh, you can come up and uh, 
drink whiskey with me if you want. I'm happy to share. You know. Thank you. Well, <laughs> knowing, knowing that you're uh, buying the old stuff from the auctions, you know, it's not, not that I wouldn't enjoy just the beauty, simplicity of your personality, but some good yeah. juice happening. But some in old your stuff around well. doesn't hurt. It's a cherry on top. Yeah. You know, it's a cherry on top. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Kurt's very generous with his pores. A visit to his apartment is worth both the, the company and the drink. Yeah, exactly. Just Uber, Uber where you're going next afterwards. You want a little time to kind of let the, <laughs> let the whiskey process, you know, so to speak. Well, we've been we've been talking about having you on this podcast for years, literally years. And the fact that it's season seven, uh, I'm glad it's finally happened. And I'm, you know, because I'm Scottish, it has to come with disappointment as well. I'm disappointed it didn't happen sooner. But this has been an well, absolute Well, you know, you could always have me back. Because, you know, conveniently, it's like there's always whiskey stuff to talk about, you know, (laughs) so it's not it's it's not like there there won't be, you know, I'm a chatty fellow, rumor has it. So invariably, (laughs) I can I can always get another hour, you know, of whatever, you know, easily enough. Uh, Ask me the right questions and I'll just go and go and go. (laughs) Well, in, in that case, then let's get out of here by saying until next time, Kurt, it's been a pleasure. Oh, cheers. It's been a pleasure here. Cheers, guys. Absolute pleasure. Cheers. As you rightly said going into the interview, we don't get to see Kurt enough in New York. Mm -hmm. And we have an open invitation. He's very generous with his, his time and his pores. It's just not a place I really ever get to, and it's a place that you infrequently get to. Correct. But... But like everyone of our other friends in New York, we're like, one day, there's going to come a day we're just going to tour a series of houses and catch up with people. And it will be lovely when it happens. But getting the chance to talk with him over Zoom, really get into the the conversation around putting together cocktails and putting together a cocktail book, and just getting geeky and nerdy yeah. about yep. whiskey. It, it was a great conversation and an enjoyable conversation. And ah, it's just nice to dedicate an hour, an hour and a bit to sitting down and talking to people. It's nice. And, you know, to be honest, this was a conversation we've wanted to have for a few years now. And I feel like we've said that a number of times. There's so oh, many for sure. people. For sure. And, yep. and there's, you know, like Kurt, friends within the industry, people we've known for years that we simply haven't gotten them on the podcast yet. And so, you know, so that's that's got to be a goal because this was a lot of a lot of fun. It's always great talking to new people. It, it sometimes makes it even better when it's a friend. So it'd be nice to bring yeah. other friends on. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it, you know, I, I, again, it's it's nice to know there's still a list of people we want to talk to. Seven seasons into this, we're not at the end of the list, and there's new people making onto that list all the time. All the time, all the time. You know, listening back to that conversation, uh, and especially when we were talking, when we were focusing on the cocktail part portion of the conversation. Mm-hmm. I was reminded of a cocktail video I saw uh, just this past Ooh. Wednesday, and Do you know, I, you know, I think the I think the kids shorten that nowadays. I think it's just a cockvid. So you saw a cockvid go on. Oh, we got a cockvid. It came through on the Snapchat. Yep. 
I'd show it to you, but it's gone. <laughs> that's that's where forty-something-year-old men should not be. But continue. Fucking hell! No, I I I, I think it was on Instagram or something like that. But listen, <laughs> backtrack, backtrack. <laughs> it was a, it was a TikTok on on Instagram that I got through Snapchat. Right? Is that is that how those things work? Yeah. I, actually, I actually I think I read it in the newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> oh, in the Daily Gazette. Yeah. Haida, <laughs> you told Haida over the breakfast table. Haida, Haida, I've just seen the most interesting cock vid in the newspaper. <laughs> Did you pick up today's periodical? So, so the, the, uh. <laughs> and is my soup ready? <laughs> <laughs> have you seen, just really quickly, have you. Have you spent much time with uh, Family Guy? Back in the day, not in the, not in the last so, decade, so, maybe. So there, there wasn't. This is not a slightly older episode where Brian the dog <laughs> starts dating a much older woman, a human woman. Do you remember that? That is back in the day. Yep, I've seen that episode. Yep. And she's she's like, it's sick and better something. And he's like, oh, I've I've got the I've got these keys for you. Where would you like me to put them? She's like. Put them over there on the veranda. The what? The Davenport. The what? The the Cleveland. You know, just all these random words. The sideboard, you know, for, for that thing. Oh, my gosh. You can leave my apartment key on the Davenport. Here? No, the Davenport. The Chesterfield. On this? No. Does that look like a divan to you? Here? Ugh, leave them on the Schiffer robe. You know what? Just take your keys. I don't know what the you're talking about. <laughs> All this. That was a great episode. So good. Anyway, the cocktail I saw is such a great cocktail for like today. We had a high of 82. It's currently 77, unseasonably mm-hmm, warm. Mm-hmm. And this seemed like the perfect cocktail to hang outside with friends in a fire. And there's okay. no whiskey in it whatsoever. There's no oh, rum in on. it. <laughs> Is it time no... for the news? <laughs> <laughs> you ready for this? You got to chill uh, a beer mug. Oh, God. And then you put a bottle of Miller High Life. <laughs> top it with an ounce of Campari or a similar bitter. So I don't use Campari anymore because I found out it's not vegetarian. Um, so I use, an, I use another brand. And so an ounce of that and then an ounce of grapefruit juice. Fucking done, man. That is like refreshing in a glass. Why are you laughing? What's going on? You wouldn't do that? Yeah. The, you're, you're not allowed to drink that cocktail in Texas because it sounds like an abortion. That is a disaster. <laughs> That sounds absolutely horrific. I think I would not Judge Kaczmarek would uh, would agree with you on that one. <laughs> a beer, a beer, but specifically Miller High Life, com- which is the champagne Campari, of beers. A grapefruit? No. What did you did you so, say? Grapefruit juice. Chill your mug. Then put in a full bottle of Miller High Life, the, you know, the 11.2 ounce bottle, whatever it is. Um, And then an ounce of Campari or a similar bitter liqueur and an ounce of grapefruit juice. 
Give it a quick stir. Drink it with your mouth. Okay. Yep. Okay. So once I once I started repeating that back to you, I realized that I'd misheard you saying grape juice. Oh, that no. that was the third component. It's actually grape it, juice. It's an ounce of Manischewitz. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, yeah, the, the grave, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that's fine. I've, I've said it before on, on, yeah, yeah, that's the thing, right? I've said it before in this podcast, right? Take a Corona, take that airspace and fill it with Bacardi Limon, right? Right. And it's, you get a lemon and lime rum it, in the top of that, right? It's the same. It's the same idea. It's like the those uh, that German grapefruit beer, that Hoffenstaffer oh, yeah. or whatever it's called, right? Where it's yeah. just, yeah, it's Solzhenitsyn. I'm sorry. <laughs> I said Solzhenitsyn. I stand by it. I still don't know what the fuck you said. It's salts in its skin. <laughs> Alexander Solzhenitsyn, globally famous Russian author. Oh yeah. See, I, I, my brain was not going there. <sighs> it's salts on its skin. See, you had to go right back to Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> it's salts on its skin's its skin. What? Or else it gets the hose again. What? <laughs> okay. All right. What point are we making here? Yeah, the German low ABV beer. Yeah, no, it's that? just that's the point I'm making, right? You got Miller High Life low ABV beer. Put some Campari on there. You got a bit of fruitiness, a bit of bitter, and then you just add that bright citrusy. Uh, character from like a ruby red grapefruit or some like fresh grapefruit yeah. juice, not like the, you know the, the grapefruit cocktail, but like actual grapefruit juice. It just sounds yeah. like the most refreshing thing on a on a hot day. That's all. It does. It does. It does. I I take back my earlier comment. I, I think we can enjoy it in Texas. Um, in Florida, you can enjoy it after six weeks, though. That's the only thing to keep in mind. <laughs> Is this thing on? What's happening? Is that, there's a governor at my door. I'm in Virginia. I'm not that far away. <laughs> oh, that's why you're so sleepy. Because that's where woke goes to die. You're you're not awake anymore. You're you're gonna go to sleep. <laughs> I awoke too early today. That's the problem. <laughs> Listen, um, we have the tiniest bit Really of... lost the plot. Yeah, we did, didn't we? Yeah, well, that's fine. Um, we have just a little bit of news to share. Not a lot, but I think it's important news. But seeing as it's just a small bit, we don't need to bring in the paper boy. Um, if there are any Single Cast Nation members who are listening and happen to be in our private Facebook group, you will have seen this. Uh, but Jess Lomas, uh, our lovely Jess, um, has been shopping around the latest ROW release, Rest of the World release. She's getting it out into various countries. But she was at The Artisan uh, not mm-hmm. too long ago, just last week, and they had brought in the full range of bottlings. So if you're in Scotland or you're planning on going to Scotland and you're in in or around the Glasgow-ish area, 
definitely check out the artisan. Check out the Mathers who, who are supporting us, which is really fantastic. Thanks news. to them. Um, yeah, man, new partnership. It. I almost squealed just like seeing those new bottles, the new bottles, the new labels, and they brought the bottles in immediately. I just it really warmed my heart to see that happen. Yeah, other stores coming along as well. Uh, you'll get to see them at Tindrum, which is formerly the Green Welly, ah, yes, uh, the right. Whiskey Exchange, TWE, a mm-hmm. uh, new small independent store outside Glasgow as well, Spirit of Alba. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're coming on for us. So, yeah. And then, and then, as you rightly say, other countries coming along as well. So ROW4 is off to a good start. It'll be in the wild near you. Soon, unless you live in America, you're not going to see it. No, you're not going to see it. But you can ship it from a UK retailer if you so desire. There you go. Um, we received, well, we received a number of emails. And there's one that I wanted to bring in. Um, it's it's somewhat apropos to how we opened this conversation because we were talking about barley. We brought up Matt Hoffman's name. Uh, and this email came in from our, our friend, uh, James Foster. Dear James. Dear James. And the subject says, Matt Hoffman, Pete, and a missed question, right? Again, back to what you were saying before. Oh, You listen gosh. back and you're thinking, oh, he should have asked this question. And then boom, it gets answered or it gets yeah. asked. James is pointing out that he had a question oh, he wanted answered and we never brought it up. So... Let's see how this goes. Okay. So it says, As usual, I enjoyed the last PadCost episode with Matt Hoffman. As usual, or as usually, he could see your geek and raise it. (laughs) No doubt there. (laughs) None at all. But there's one question regarding the deep wet peat I wished you had asked. And the question is this, quote, when you dig it up, what do you think, what do you think it is? What do you think the question is? When you dig up the peat, insert question here. What do you think it is, Jason? What fills its place in the ecosystem? Oh, I like, I like where you went with that. My question, I think, more aligns with what James is asking here. Um, what does it smell like? <laughs> it just smells like mud. <laughs> I just. However, James goes on. He says, "Here's why it matters." All right. Uh huh. In the episode, someone said that everything quote down there is dead, and then parenthetical uh. comment. He says, "Easy, Joshua. Easy." He says, "And so nothing yeah. rots." And James says that that's yeah. incorrect. It says the uh-huh. vegetation is dead, and that's what you're harvesting. Uh-huh. And the bacteria that break down plant material, butter, and bog people are dead. <laughs> but there is a rich ecosystem of anaerobic bacterial, bacteria, including methanogens. Methanogens mm. make methane, a greenhouse gas far more potent than CO2. The carbon stored in the vegetation is released when you burn the peat, but carbon also comes out in the form of methane when you just dig it up. Another parenthetical, mm-hmm. another parenthetical comment. He says, 
we should be using more sheep shit for our peating, like Peter Bignall yep. at Belgrove Whiskey in Tasmania. <laughs> Cheers, mate. <laughs> he he, uh, he continues, continues, he says, so if the harvest smells like rotten eggs, that mm. meth, 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 fuck, meth, methadone? No. <laughs> Mephistopheles, uh, Mephitic, Mephitic stench, Mephitic, does that sound right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mephitic stench is evidence of a rich living ecosystem, quote, down there, which one can Mm. kill us all if we disturb it too much. He goes on, I haven't done the math, but I trust Matt that it's much better environmentally to harvest the wet stuff than to drain and dry. But it ain't free. Utopian solutions are as rare as unicorns and worm tub episodes. <laughs> I'd say it twice, but I would be repeating myself. And you can imagine how he's spelling repeating. Uh, and then he ends it with, I'm here all week. Tip your server. Just don't tip them over. Over tipping is okay, though. James Foster. <laughs> he was having fun with that email. He gosh. was having a lot of fun with that email. Yeah. The, just the, the very first thing I would say there is, is I thought Matt did a nice job in the interview of, of mentioning that nothing's free here, right? Yeah. And it is this talk of it, it's two cubic yards of peat coming out of 50,000 total acres yeah. of Washington peat. It's not free, but it's a small, small, small number. So I'm not disagreeing with James. I'm not mm-hmm. disagreeing with the importance of preserving peat bogs. And then this is the conversation you and I keep grappling with. I had this conversation at VDC again today, is this is a luxury product. We don't have a right to use the peat. It doesn't, no. it's not helping anybody's survival. Like we're making a choice that we like the flavoring that peat brings to the table. And we're trying to find a way to have that enjoyment with minimum environmental impact yeah. yep so yep. so james is spot on nothing's free matt's spot on we're using a small small portion of this the good news for for james and, and again we can we can certainly ask matt the question but i've never smelled any wet peat of any form that had an eggy smell to it then it just simply must mean that you, you haven't dealt... If you haven't smelt it, then there's no way you could have dealt it. <laughs> I cannot believe I walked into that whole cloth. Oh my gosh, you're so proud of yourself right now. That felt so <laughs> Oh my good. gosh, check one up in the Josh column. <laughs> Hold on, you hear that noise again? That's me. Oh That's boy. me patting my own back. Oh boy. <laughs> <sighs> but you've but you've been in you've been in peat bogs, right? You've been in the traditional Isla oh, yeah. trench. Yeah. Uh, yeah no, we've, there's we've been no around s- that that one that I mentioned from Springbank that was more of the wet, almost cow manure looking pile. 
I, I haven't been mm. near the one that Matt was describing to us, but I haven't smelled anything methane like eggy along the way. No, nothing at all. I mean, I, we we haven't been to the peat bog that Westland uses, so I don't know what peat underwater is like. However, my first experience being in a peat bog cutting peat was August 2011 with you and we were cutting peat with uh uh with the folks from Lafroig and there was no smell of anything it was just digging peat out the earth and and that's it um and we picked i remember picking which, up the which dry which was an exposed again. dried trench right uh, an exposed what the it was the exposed version of the trench right? correct yeah exposed so version of the trench but it wasn't it wasn't dry by any stretch like it was it was like heavy like thick and like i wouldn't i wouldn't say ooey but it was almost like a like a clay a clay like consistency as you as you mm. dig it out super heavy clay Fibrous i always think of stuff. chocolate mud pie Oh, there you go. A fibrous chocolate mud pie. <laughs> Which, who knows how your weekend's going to go. <laughs> there may be a fibrous chocolate mud pie in, in my future. <laughs> you know, just eat bananas. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, I, I think we may have reached the end of the podcast. <laughs> of the listener's patience. <laughs> um, so I'm going to raise my glass. I'm actually going to pour a little. Did we say what we're pouring? Yes, we, we, we told people. We never we're... did. We did, did not. We not. I've just been sitting working through this dram for the recording. Yeah. All right. Well, we, we each have a little bit of our... Or Del, you're a nine-year-old in the glass, and I'm just going to pour a little bit more in there so I can um, raise a glass to you, raise a glass to the listener, raise a glass to to Kurt Maitland uh, for Indeed. being a wonderful guest. Um, thanks, as always, to to the Ice Cream Man, to, uh, to James Foster for writing in. Oh, you know what I wanted to say, too, Jason? Um, yeah. I noticed on on Apple Podcasts, we're getting more and more ah. reviews showing up. You know, like a number of stars, right? Five stars, four stars, that kind of thing. Um, but we haven't received any new, like, actual reviews that we could read. And so... If written you're reviews. Of, yeah, written reviews. Thank you. So if you're a... Um, a listener out there and you've rated the the podcast on Apple Podcasts, please go ahead and, and write a review. We'll read it here online. We'll give you a, a nice little name check. Uh, and if you haven't already reviewed the podcast on, on Apple Podcasts, please go ahead and do so. Five stars is much appreciated. Uh, pop your, your name in and do a written <laughs> review and we'll, and we'll read it. We always love reading those. So that's it. That's, that was the last thing, Jason, that I wanted to, to say. That was solid. 
Yeah, I, I love it when we get those those little written reviews and a little chance to read them and a little chance to enjoy them. And it's it's nice when other people pat us on the back and we don't have to do it all ourselves. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit less masturbatory uh, when you do it. That yeah, way. yeah. Although we do read it out loud on our own podcast, so it's still a bit masturbatory, masturbatory. Yeah, how would you say? Would you say masturbatory? <laughs> Listeners, questions. I, I think I would say, if you, I was going to say, if you want to drop us an email, questions at One Nation Under Whiskey, no E in whiskey, info at singlecastnation.com also works. You don't have to go into your own pronunciation of masturbatory. <laughs> We're not looking for definitions. We're not looking for anything that would show up on Snapchat. We just want to know your pronunciation. <laughs> Good God. Oh my gosh. This, this, this is safer when we're drunk. Fucking hell. <laughs> All right, Jason, I raise my glass to you, to the listener, to Kurt, and to you committing <laughs> happy accidents because this, this heavily sherry Daluane is pretty <laughs> remarkable. I thought we were back to masturbatory again. But anyway, let's get out of here. Cheers, Jason. Cheers. Thank you.